There is a recent trend on TikTok, the social media platform, of people posting videos of my five to nine. Has anyone seen this? It's where people share videos of their morning routine from the hours of 5 a.m through to 9 a.m. That's right, 5 a.m. through to 9 a.m. So it's often hyper-productive people, or at least that want to appear as hyper-productive people. Um, and you can imagine the sort of stuff that's on there, like insane gym workouts, ultra-healthy breakfast that people are preparing for themselves that do not look that appetizing at all. Um, very detailed skincare routines. So if you want good-looking skin, come to me afterwards. I now know how. Uh, protein shakes, journaling, all of that kind of stuff. And it is mainly designed to do what everything on social media is designed to do, to make you feel bad about your own life. Um, but I think that the part of the reason it's so popular is that it connects with this, uh, this kind of understanding that I think we all share, that we are to be uh, in being intentional about the daily habits and the daily disciplines that we have is good for us. That there are some things that we just need to choose to do day after day after day if we are going to have the life that we want. And today, as we continue in Exodus, we are going to see how God is leading his people into exactly that. He is looking to build in some daily rhythms, daily habits for them to live out for their good as he begins to form them particularly into his people, his people that will live very distinct lives, that will live very different to insane gym workouts and skincare routines and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and that they will order their particular their lives in a particular way so that each day they can experience and feast upon everything that God has for them. And what I want to show us this morning is that the same invitation is for us, that he invites us to daily come to him so that we might receive from him every day and live full lives. So we're going to read from Exodus chapter 16 this morning uh, as we continue in through this series. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to read the first four verses, then jump ahead to verse 11 and read a chunk there. So it's a little bit of a passage that we're looking at today. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry at all. I'm going to read from my Bible here, but the words will appear on the screen so you can read along there. So Exodus chapter 16 from verse 1. They set out, this is the people of God, Israel, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then jumping down to verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it to the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they lay it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. As we meet the people of Israel here, We join them pretty much immediately after what will go down and be remembered as the greatest moment in their history. They have just been, their their most terrifying enemy has just been defeated. They have been freed from slavery. They have just not only witnessed, they have taken part in the greatest of miracles, the most spectacular of miracles. As God parted the Red Sea, you might remember from last time, parted the Red Sea, wall of water there, wall of water there, and they just walk along in dry land through it. And so what do we then find them doing? The chapter afterwards. Perhaps celebrating together, high-fiving, worshipping, thanking God for all he's done. Now we open up chapter 16 and immediately we read, the people of Israel grumbled. And we might think, oh, maybe it's just like, just a few slightly moany types, like a vocal minority perhaps. Nope, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. And we read in verse 3, why was it? Because they had hunger. And the need, I suppose, is understandable. People do need to eat. And we ourselves have recent experience of just what it looks like uh, in the pandemic, perhaps, when a supermarket runs out of a very particular type of flour for making sourdough bread and the world just goes crazy, let alone like the supermarket shelves actually being fully empty. But for these people, we've just read in verse 1, they set out from Elim which is the place that they come to right at the end of chapter 15, where already they had grumbled because God wasn't providing. In this case, water, or they thought God wasn't providing, and already God has shown his complete provision for them. He led them to 12 springs of water, we see there, and 70 palm trees. Now, in Jewish thought, the number 12, the number 7, and the number 10 were all numbers of completion and perfection. And so he leads them to 12 springs of water and 7 times 10 numbers of palm trees. It's a picture of perfection upon perfection, of God's provision for his people. And you think, maybe they're going to start latching on to this God is going to look after us. But now we find them grumbling again. And we think, how is God going to respond this time? Is this one grumble too far? Is there going to be a flash of anger, a stern rebuke, this exasperation from God of like, why do you not yet get this? Verse 4 comes around. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. 
to a people starving, is there any better, kinder, more welcome words than this? At this point, they'd be like, anything would be good. Just a little snack, just something, just perhaps keep us going. We'll take anything. And God says to them, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going to provide miraculously. It's going to come down from heaven for you. And abundantly, as we see in the verses that follow. In verse 8, the Lord gives you bread to the full. And then verse 12, you shall be filled with bread. If you have ever done any fasting, we've got a few days of prayer and fasting coming up. If you've ever fasted, you'll know there is nothing more alluring when you're a bit hungry like that than the prospect of bread. That when your body has been deprived of just a little bit of food for a little bit of time, so maybe a day or so, or in some cases 20 minutes, your body starts to adjust into like survival mode. And my experience of what this feels like is that it just shuts off its desire for anything else. Just like, I don't want anything else. And your body just becomes laser-focused in hunting down the nearest source of bread. Like, where is it? I just need that sugary, instant hit of, like, carbohydrate, whatever it is that bread has, that, that magic ingredient that just your body craves when it hasn't had any nutrition. And God says, I'm promised to you, I'm going to rain this stuff down on you. I'm going to fill you up. And then he goes even further. He says, I'm not just going to give you bread. I'm going to give you meat. In verse 12, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And then in verse 13, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. Not just any meat, quail. You know, in this time, uh, in this place, and actually still today, quail was one of the finest delicacies you could get your hands on one of the most choice things. They would have never had anything like this. As they reminisce, as we heard in verse 3, reminiscing about meat pots in Egypt, which almost certainly this was just like random offcuts of some kind of conglomeration of mystery meat that no one really was sure what it was, all put together in a pot with some water, and as probably as unappetizing in look as the name meat pot suggests. Here God says, let me give you quail. As you long for the old life that you had, as I'm drawing you into this new life, let me provide for you something so far beyond anything you have ever had. Not just for a little taste, but quail that covered the camp for them to feast upon. Here is a people that just could not stop grumbling. We didn't read it all, but in the six verses from from verse 2, sorry, the seven verses from verse 2, six times we read of their grumbling. This whole congregation entrenched in their moaning, loud in their lack of faith, vocal in them turning away from God. And as they turn away from God, what does God do? Once again, as we have seen time and time again in the book of Exodus, he turns towards them. Don't we find ourselves so often like these people? That we find ourselves in a difficult situation and we think God is a hard God. God does not provide for me. Perhaps internally or maybe even out loud, we start to think God is holding back from me. We might even go as far to say God has led me out here to die, just like they did. And we start to think maybe life before God was actually better for me. Maybe life without God could be better for me. And as we question and as we doubt and as we perhaps grumble, how does he respond? 
he just says to us, let me show you again. Let me show you again just how generous I am one more time. Let me turn towards you again and give you another taste of my abundant provision for you into your life. I'll not just rain down bread from heaven to you, but come and feast upon quail. These people, they're still getting to know God. They're still in that kind of early phase of the relationship, trying to work out who is he, how does he operate, and this is how God is wanting to reveal himself once again. This is how he wants to be known to his people here by us today. He delights in generosity of just giving and giving and giving so that they know they can trust him to provide in all times. And that's just what God is trying to do here. He's trying to move them to trust. Let's just have a look at verse 4, where he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may, and then I've left the word out. I want you to think, what would you expect in the flow of that sentence of God saying, I'm going to rain bread from heaven, that I may maybe feed them, or that I may nourish them, or maybe even that I may please them. But what he actually says is that I may test them, whether they will walk in my way or not. So this reigning gift from heaven, this bread coming down, it is a gift, but it also is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for them to say, I'm going to put my faith in God once again. I'm going to choose his way and to walk the way he has for me. Because this bread, it really does need faith. The way that this bread came to them was not just like the waking up to the glorious aroma of freshly baked French baguette just coming out of the ground for them. In verse 14, we read it, it was thin flakes like frost on the ground. And to get an idea of just how odd it was, in verse 15, they call it, literally in the Hebrew, they say, what is it? That is the name they give it, which then sounds a lot like the word manna, which is what it then goes on to be called a strange substance that even then once they kind of got their head around it, it wasn't as simple as just, well, just go out and eat it. There were some very clear instructions attached to it that get up really early before the sun rises because otherwise it's going to melt as we read in verse 21. So they had to get up. We're talking about before 6 a.m. to to harvest and gather in their food. So this definitely would have been in their five to nine TikTok video that they were putting together. And they had to gather it off the ground and get a particular amount, an omer, that they then had to put in a pot, so about two liters worth. And then they had to make sure that they ate it, so that none was left over. And then on the sixth day, they had to remember, I'd be terrible at this, but remember, get two omers this day. Get two omers, eat half of it on the sixth day, and leave half of it until the seventh day. And that takes discipline, not eating everything that is on your plate, for some of us. This is how the people were to get their food as we read then at the end of the chapter, for the next 40 years. And for us to understand the significance of what this would mean for this group of people, we have to know that food at this time, in this area, was a big deal. We think very little about how does the food end up on our plate, and who's involved, and what's the process, and all of those sorts of things. But for people at this time, that was all that they would think about. How a nation acquired its food was central to its identity. It's not just like for us, where food, kind of where you get your food is a bit like small talk. Like, oh, you're an Asda man, interesting. 
No, the whole source, uh, the whole of their society was ordered around food. What you ate, how you got it, how you ate it, was who you were as a people. All of the rhythms of life were centered around the production of food. And just about every one of us, if we were in this time, would have been, our lives would have been around getting food and having a role in that. And it's definitely one of the simplest observations that a preacher could make. But this is a bizarre way for you to get food, for a people this size to eat. This would have been quite a sight. Every morning, before sunrise, while it's still dark, as many as remember two million people all getting up, coming out of their tents, more or less than as one in tandem, coming and scooping up stuff from the ground and putting it in a pot and then going back to their tents. Utterly bizarre. Utterly unique. No other nation at the time did anything even close to this. All of them were doing all of the things that we learned about in history class. They've got complex crop production methods that they've honed over generation. They're rearing livestock over years and years and years to make sure everyone's got enough. They're nomadic groups of hunters that rely on hunting down wild animals for their food. Not Israel. And in providing for them in this particular way, God is saying, I want you as a people to do things completely differently. I want you to be different from all of the other people around you. He's imprinting in their DNA, even in these early stages, you are not to be like just any other nation. You're not to live like them. You are, your very identity is, is fundamentally different to those that you see day after day, everyone around you. The way that you live, the habits and the rhythms that you have in your life, they're different. As they look around and see, every other nation is working hard. Every other nation is striving to produce. They're relying on their own effort, their own ingenuity. They are to look somewhere else, to shape their whole lives and their society entirely around the provision of this bread on the ground. And it must have felt so fragile. Because one of the things they learned quickly about manna is that it does not keep Moses told them in verse 19, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. You think, that's nice and clear, but you know what some people are like, so they had to try it. And in verse 20, they then learned it bred worms and it stank. Lesson learned. You cannot hoard this stuff. The food that they are getting, you can't just, like, let's get loads in today and then we'll have this massive supply just in case. They can't do what they would do with crops and building cities where they could store it in or just loads of livestock that we know as a nation. They can feel confident. They can feel secure. We've got all of this, so if anything goes wrong, we'll be okay. Now, every morning, they needed God to provide again. This is what it meant for them to live God's way, to live the way of the manner to see everyone around them living in a way that seems normal, that seems to make sense, that seems far more secure, far more predictable, far more logical, and choose to say no to that, and instead choose to say yes to this flaky meal on the ground that makes you look a little bit weird, and choose to put your lives in the hands of God every single day. This is what it means to live a life of faith. There's something for each of us that is so attractive, so alluring to going with the flow, living like the pack, being like everyone else. 
One of my worst habits when I'm driving is if I know I need to go over there, but I am in a flow of traffic and everyone else is going over there. There's just something within me that's like, that must be a better place to go. Everyone else is going over there. There's something that feels safe and secure about going with everybody else that seems like it's wisdom of the majority, that when we look and we see everyone else is going out and getting hammered, everyone else seems to be hooking up week after week after week, everyone else is pulling crazy hours at the office and barely sees their family, we see that and we think, oh, to be in that stream, to be living like that, it must be good. It must be safe. It must be wise because everyone is doing it. And to live different would feel vulnerable. But the pattern that God is laying down with his people here is that the way of faith is different to the way of the world. He's calling them out of the way of the world and how they do things, even though it seems so right. And he's saying, my way is to live different, to live for me, to live with me. He's making them into something distinct and set apart. If you've ever read the the law in the Old Testament that is parts of this book of Exodus and then it goes into the book of Leviticus and then into the book of Deuteronomy and you think, you're reading it and you think, God, this is so long, it's so detailed. It's like, what are you doing here? It doesn't seem to have any relevance. Part of what he is doing through all of that is he is just making his people different by design making them visibly separate from the world around them, that they would live by different rhythms, different patterns, different priorities. This is a life of faith that's not just a set of beliefs in God that we hold internally. But this is a life of faith where your entire life is oriented and reordered and how you think about the world and how you live in it is different. And the rhythm of life that God is trying to draw them into in this time, in this instance, is depending directly on him for everything, every single day. In verse 4, the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. No store to turn to, no alternative food source that they can rely on, but to believe that God is going to miraculously come through for me every day. And evidently, they found this pretty difficult. Part of the reason that they they struggled in the daily uh, trust, you see it as they try and hold some over to the next day and see, like, is this going to work or not? They're They're even eating a bit less than they otherwise would. They don't eat their full portion because they feel like maybe we've got to try and make this last over a few days. Maybe it's, it's going to have to do for tomorrow as well. What we see is that they don't fully believe God is going to provide for me again. They go to bed and they look at some of the portion of manna that they've got in their pot left over and they think, maybe tomorrow I will be okay because I've still got some left in my pot. How often is that us? How often do we think, I am not really sure God is going to come through for me again, so I'll store this up for myself. I'll make sure I've got enough money in the bank, or I've got this house, or I've got this relationship, I've got something, I've got this thing that I can cling to just in case I don't see God's provision for me again. But they wake up, and the thing that they had put their hope in had gone to rot. And it goes against all of their instincts They're having to learn this new rhythm of there is just no alternative. I need to feast on everything that God has given me today 
And then I need to go to bed with an empty pot, with nothing I can hold to, and just trust when tomorrow rolls around, God will provide again. You know, God doesn't want us to try and make our blessings last. He doesn't want us to think, oh, I've got some. I've seen God move. I've got something from God. And so, but maybe this is going to have to do me for the next few weeks. Maybe it's going to have to do me for the next few months. I might have to like portion it out or just like hold on to it and cling to it rather than enjoy it. Because who knows when a fallow period is going to come in God. And he wants his people to see every single day he is going to make sure there is something fresh. There is a full portion just waiting for them as they get up. He wants them to fully enjoy everything that he's giving them today, to feast upon it, to empty out their pot, to have all of it, because they can be sure he will provide again tomorrow. Throughout this series, we've seen a few times that the book of Exodus is kind of a book of patterns that God is introducing in the way that he works with these people. This is how he works with all of his people throughout Scripture and through to today. And we see it in uh, the book of Lamentations in chapter 3, written nearly 800 years after the Exodus. This is what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That although the manna had long stopped falling, the promise of something new every morning continued and remained, revealing through the manner who he is, how he works with his people, fresh blessings every day, echoing through the Exodus story, right through to the exile of God's people here in Lamentations, and through to us today. As Jesus gets us praying in Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. That's right. Our daily bread. He promises to us daily bread. That we can believe there is something new for me every day from God. God wants us too to come to him with an empty pot in our hands and to say, Father, I thank you so much for all that you gave me yesterday, but I've enjoyed that. My pot is now empty. Father, I need something from you today. This is permission for us to come, just like the people of of God, the Israelites, come to him and say, God, I expect generosity from you. I expect you to be generous towards me today. And this is not presumptuousness on our part. This is simply taking God at his word, faithfully stepping into the promises of daily blessing, that he will give us something new to feast upon every day, that he wants to fill us up like he filled them, to, be, to have bread to the full. And what this also means is that he wants to give us bread today, for today, and only today. I have, for a large part of my life, struggled with anxiety. And my personality generally is I am a future-oriented thinker. And so then how anxiety jumps in on that is that I am prone to something called catastrophizing, which basically means of all of the many, many options of what could happen in, say, two years' time, my brain is expert at just latching on to the very worst possibility and just assuming that is definitely what is going to happen. And so I can find myself thinking, oh, there's all these... All these things that could happen in the next two years, 
The terrible option is definitely going to happen. How on earth am I going to cope? Or of all of these things that could happen in the next six months, I am sure they are all going to happen within a 24-hour period at some point, and how on earth will I be able to deal with all of that? You might be able to relate to some of that thinking, perhaps not quite as extreme, but into that sort of thinking, God says, I give you daily bread. I'm not giving you bread for six months' time. I'm not giving you bread for two years' time. Each day, I'm going to give you everything you need for today. As Jesus says, in the same place, actually, where he talks about daily bread in Matthew 6, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, let me worry about tomorrow, for now you just receive your daily bread. Just feast on it and enjoy it. Kathy Keller, the wife of Tim Keller, uh, says this. I love this quote. She, she says, God does not give hypothetical grace for our hypothetical nightmare situation. He only gives us grace. He only gives us provision for our actual situation. He gives us all we need for what we are actually facing today. He'll give us bread for today. He'll definitely give us bread for tomorrow. Each day, there'll be bread. Each day, we will be fed. And what I find really intriguing in this passage is how the seemingly unrelated nature between that which God wants to gift us and the process through which we go in order to get hold of it. Because what God gives here is so obviously miraculous. It's bread raining down from heaven. I mean, that is something else. It's a daily invitation for them to come and feast on the miraculous, to taste something of the divine, to be nourished and empowered by the supernatural. And yet the way they get hold of it could not be more natural. Like, go out as early as possible, basically. So they're half asleep, probably in their most weak and most useless state, Get out and just like use your hands. Get your hands dirty and like scoop around. Probably like pick up lots of grit along with your food as well. Put it in a pot, not even a special pot, not even some kind of ceremonial pot, just a normal pot they'd use for anything. And then just eat it. No special prayers, no transcendent moment, no particular feelings attached to it. The most ordinary of processes repeated day after day after day. As we read in verse 21, morning by morning, they gathered it. Morning by morning, that language of habit, training yourself just to get up at the right time, get out, do the same thing day after day. There's probably no less exciting word for us than habit or discipline. It sounds boring, it sounds restrictive, it sounds locked in, it doesn't sound like it's going to lead to anything particularly good, and yet it's exactly through repetition discipline, that they receive something divinely given that fills them for the day. It's no different for us. Just like Israel, to keep going in this world, we need to be filled with something daily that is not of this world. We need to feast on daily bread like these people. And to do that, we need to do something. We need to make a habit of daily choosing to receive this, of getting in a disciplined way, of finding a way that whatever works for us to come to God and, and come to him, and just as Jesus teaches us, to ask for it, to ask for this daily bread so that we might receive. This is us learning to pray to him each day, 
This is how we step into and embrace our calling to live differently in this world. Part of what it means for us to be different by designs. In all of my studious research on TikTok, of my nine to five, five to nine, not one person was praying. Not one person was looking outside of themselves for something. All of them, the narrative was, I provide for me. I need to work in order to get. But this is how we live different. Each day we look outside of ourselves for what we really need. We need to take a few minutes at least each day to come before God and actually speak out loud and say, Father, I know without your provision, I will not have the life that you have for me and you want for me and that I want for me. I really need you to provide for me, Father. Would you give me today my daily bread? We need to speak it out because when we hear ourselves speaking it out, the dependence that we have upon him just becomes more and more real to us when we hear ourselves say it. And then we just wait. Just a few minutes. Not rushing on. Stillness before God. A daily moment to just take in what he wants to give us. Feasting on the supernatural through something that feels very, very natural. A half-asleep, poorly formed prayer. Things even as simple as, as we see here, rest. Verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. One day where they will be provided for without even doing anything. Resting is something we can all do. Whether or not we do it is a different question, but it's something God tells us to do. One day where no work is done, just rest. A regular reminder that we really do not provide for ourselves. We really need someone else to give in to us. So stop. Do nothing, he says, so that we can see God always provides. That is the beautiful picture of chapter 16. That he always provides. In our sinful grumbling, he provides. In our faithful working, he provides. In our obedient resting, he provides. Today, in the gift of Jesus Christ for us, he provides. This is what Jesus said to the Jews in chapter 6. Your fathers ate manna, John chapter 6. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This is how we can know we can come expectant to God every single day and he will have something fresh and full for us. Because although after 40 years this manna did run out, on the way was living bread from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to fill us and to feed us. This promise looked so empty as he was hanging up on the cross, buried in a tomb. But as his body awoke, And as life started to flow again, as he rose again three days later, he was showing the world, here is bread that will never spoil. Because he is risen. We have bread today. We can be sure we've got bread tomorrow. We're going to have bread forevermore. The bread of life. This is not just stuff that will sustain us and nourish us and keep us going through this world. But in him we are filled with the power of eternal life. 
the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, available to us today by coming to him and receiving day after day.